Morning again, everyone. So, who do you trust? I mean, really, really trust. Now, chances are, whoever comes to mind, whoever you're thinking of right now, it's probably not someone that you just met last week. I'm I'm willing to bet that it's probably not someone who you've known for just a little while. If you think through a list of those whom you trust the most, chances are that the highest positions on that list will be occupied by people that you're closest to. Those with whom you spent the the longest time, had the longest standing relationship. People that you've just spent a lot of time with, that you've gotten to know them, and you know that they're trustworthy. Because when you ask yourself the question, you're like, how do I know that someone is trustworthy? You know, it's been said so many times that all healthy relationships are built on trust, but I think you can flip that around pretty easily, that all healthy trust is built on relationship, and that relationship is only built over time. Now, what if I rephrase that first question? What if I said, in what do you place your trust? There are a lot of things that we as human beings tend to to put some trust in, whether right or wrong. But we put trust in in a well-laid plan that we think has a great chance of success. Sometimes we'll put our trust in in money and our finances and the security that we feel like that brings us. We might put our trust in human strength and power, whether it be someone else's strength or more likely in our own. We might put our trust in some accepted cultural wisdom, something that we've heard our whole lives that we feel like it must be true because so many people accept it as true. Or maybe it's the so-called experts, that they have some expertise that we don't have, but we feel like, well, we'll just we'll take their word for it because they're supposed to know what they're talking about. You know, whatever we think we're placing our trust in, if anything or idea that we may give our trust to, ultimately, our trust isn't going to a thing. Our trust is going to a person. It's about the someones, not the some things. Now, most of the time, I think that someone is usually me. <laughs> I'm trusting myself. I'm trusting my own wisdom, my own strength, my own evaluation of the situation. But do any of those things ever fall short? All those different places that we might put our trust, all those different people in whom we might put our trust, do they ever fail us? We know that they do, and in some ways we even come to expect it. We know that wherever we place our trust, we feel like, well, we can place it, but only so far. We know that the imperfection of mankind means that that trust isn't always going to be followed through on. But then we come to a passage like Psalm 13. And you start off this psalm that David wrote, and it sounds like David's patience has almost run out. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. This almost sounds like someone who's given up. It almost sounds like someone whose patience has run out, who just can't seem to trust anymore. But instead, it becomes a very different picture when we read these last couple of lines. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The same David who's asking God, how long am I going to be in this situation, God? How long is it going to seem like you're just forgetting me? How long do I have to wrestle with these thoughts and this sorrow? But through all those questions, like that last song that we sang, through it all, David has learned something. David has learned through his time with God, his experience being one of his people, that he can trust in his unfailing love. And his heart, even in the midst of his trouble, can rejoice in God's salvation because he knows that it's coming, because he knows his God is trustworthy. You see, we can afford to have that patience that we talked about last week. You know, I talked a lot about patience last week, and I realized afterwards that you know, I was really making a pretty big assumption in a lot of what I was saying, that the patience that we have is worth having, <laughs> that the, the object of our patience is worth being patient with. But you see, we can afford to be patient when we're waiting on God, because God is faithful. We might be asking, like David, how long? You know, we might be giving out this cosmic, are we there yet, from the back seat of life. Just asking over and over again, is it, when, when is it going to happen, God? When are we going to come through this? When am I going to get to the other side of this? When am I going to experience a little more fully your love and your grace and your rescue that I know you've promised me? But we can wait with trust because, like David says, his love doesn't fail. And we know this because we know him, because we've lived some life with him. This trust doesn't come automatically. That trust has been developed over time. Now, I think about the, the story that's laid out in the Gospels as we see Jesus' life. I think it's very interesting and very instructive that Jesus didn't just start calling his disciples when he was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. In fact, he didn't start calling his disciples after the crucifixion and after he was raised from the dead. Because in some ways you'd think, well, that's an easy time to gather some followers right there. That's an easy time to get some disciples. Because you can just, you know, say, hey, he, here I am. You know you know that guy Jesus that everybody was talking about? You know all that stuff that went around where the, the, the Jews were calling for my crucifixion and then the Romans followed through with it? And I was dead, I was crucified, I was put in a grave. Well, look, here I am. I'm alive again. Now come join my mission. Come spread the word about this. That's not what he did. Because see, the facts alone, the facts of the story, as amazing as those facts may be, are not an instant or an easy path to trust. See, he called them early in his ministry. 
They followed him for years. They didn't just come to learn the facts of his story and what he was doing and what his mission was. They came to know him. They came to see that he was worthy of their trust. So when the facts of his story and his resurrection met up with the trust that was forged through their relationship over all that time, there's nothing that they wouldn't do to accomplish the mission that he gave to them. It wasn't just a simple list of facts that these men needed, that these early disciples needed, that this early church needed. It wasn't a simple list of facts. It was a relationship that built that trust that was needed. Now, we modern people, we like to tell ourselves that we're persuaded by the facts alone. That if you give us a good, solid list of evidence, we'll just go with that and we'll be, we'll be ready to go. We like to think that we're just rational people, but we're not. If we're really honest with ourselves, we know that we're not just rational, but we are very, very relational. Before and after the facts, We need that trust in the one who delivers those facts. We need that trust in those who we have relationship with. But it's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to have trust. Now, I talked about all those different areas, all those different ways that trust can, our our trust can be misplaced. And the trust that we give someone, they can fail us. And it's hard to rebuild trust after that. But what about even before that ever happens? I think trust is really hard when I don't know you. I can't trust you if I just don't know you. You might have all the credentials in the world, but if I don't have any kind of relationship with you, if I don't have any experience with you, how do I know if I can really trust you or not? You know, I think that we've come to be, and rightfully so, a little bit suspicious of a lot of, of journalism that's out there that becomes, it's based on, on an unknown or an unnamed source. When we see some report and we don't know really where that information is coming from, we wonder a little bit. Now, that's, you know, it's, it's bad in some areas, but it's really bad, especially like in technology journalism. In, in tech journalism, it's just rampant. And I use journalism, I use that term very loosely. But you just, you know, browse around some of the major, you know, technology-related sites on the internet. And I'm telling you, like, the, this supply chain analyst cousin's dog walker said that this company was going to make this thing. And it's coming, we guarantee it. You know, it happens all the time, so that most of it just can't be trusted at all. Because you don't even know where this information is coming from. And a lot of times it seems like people don't care where the information's coming from. They just hear this and say, like, oh, we better be the first to report it, because what if it's right? And little by little, these so-called journalists erode the trust that people have placed in them. And people start looking at, at, at these articles and being like, you know, they're never right about this stuff. They have no trust. Whatever trust they may have once had in a race to be first and an effort to get the most eyeballs to, to sell their advertising for, you know, a, like a penny more per person. They've broken trust. And the main way they've done it is that they've let unknown sources be their guides. Now, if it's bad there, just think about all the people in this world that have a problem and have a great difficulty putting their trust in a God that they don't know, a God that they can't directly see. We shouldn't be surprised that it takes some time for people to build that kind of trust, especially a God who chooses to primarily work 
through his adopted family, through us, through the church, as imperfect as we are. We're the ones through whom people get to know this God who they can't see with their own eyes, except as they see him living through us. So when this question comes, this big, ultimate, life-changing question of, can you trust God with your everything? Not just some things, but with your everything. That's a big decision to make. And it's one that most people, I don't think, should take lightly. It's such a big decision that some, you know, like C.S. Lewis, and I've mentioned this before, but have conjectured that the magnitude of that decision, that one choice, the magnitude of it is one of the reasons that God created time. That that one monumental choice in that one eternal present moment, to trust God or not, to be with God or not, It would just be too much for us to bear in that one moment of eternal present. And so we've been given time for that decision to be played out, for us to get to know this God who loves us. We've been given time, although no one really knows how much time. None of us knows how many days we have on this earth, but God has blessed us with time. Time to learn how to trust God to discover his faithfulness day by day. And some of us, fortunately, make the most of that time. Some of us choose to pursue him, to try and discover and experience God's love and his faithfulness. But sadly, many people, maybe most people, never give God the chance that he's given us. They never give God the chance to prove himself faithful and trustworthy. Because it does take time and it is built slowly. And to trust God with the big things, your eternal destiny, you need to give him a chance with the small things. I wonder how many people don't trust God just because they never have given him that chance to obey and find out that he won't abandon, to give and to discover that he really will provide. You see, ultimately trust, much like love, is a choice. And in our cynical world, most people have some reasons, and probably pretty good reasons, to be mistrustful, to not want to give their trust too easily. But we have to give God that chance to prove himself trustworthy or else what are we doing here if we've never even given him the chance? You see, I can be perfectly trustworthy, but I can't make you trust me. I can't just walk up to you and say, hi, I'm Nathan, you can trust me. And then it's just going to happen. It's your choice. Will you trust me? And not just will you trust me, but what will you trust me with? And the same applies to God. As much as the facts of the situation might say to us, oh, this God is trustworthy, we have to choose to trust him, and we have to choose, okay, how much am I really going to trust him? What am I going to trust him with? See, a lot of times we trust God to give us our desires, to give us what we think is good. That's easy. To trust God to give us the things that we think we want, to give us 
the things that are in line with our will, that's not a hard thing to do most of the time. But sometimes I think, maybe we don't say it this way, maybe we don't consciously think of it this way, but we might say, I trust you, God, right up to the point that your will and my will collide. And that's when it gets hard. I think about Joseph, the earthly father, adopted father, I guess you could say, of Jesus. What happened when God's will and his will collided? Because they collided pretty hard. Hey, Joseph, that that girl that you're going to marry, guess what? Got a small change of plans. And by small, I mean forever changing the course of human history. (laughs) And it's not what you were signing up for. When you were betrothed to this girl, when you got engaged, when, as you've been planning this wedding, this was not your plan. This is probably not what you ever wanted. But it's okay. Because I'm doing something bigger and better than you could have ever imagined. If Joseph was like most of us, I'm sad to say, I think he would have been very, very hesitant to go along with God's idea of a good plan because it looked nothing like his idea. It looked nothing like his culture, his society's idea of a good plan. It was going to be hard for him, but it was going to be great. Do we trust him? Do we trust God to give us better than our desires? Something that maybe we weren't expecting, but something that's greater that he wants to give us. Do we trust Him to transform our desires into something better? Are we willing to put that much trust in Him? Because that's a lot. It's a big ask. You see, this time of year, and the things that are going on, the things that we're thinking about in Christ's birth, one of the coolest things, one of the best things about the Christmas story isn't that it's just a celebration of of a birthday. There are plenty of birthdays that are of important historical figures that we remember, that we recognize. Some of them are even federal holidays so that we remember this person and what they did, that they were important in our past. And most people of importance in the past, that's, that's why we have that day that we recognize their birthday. Well, we have a different weekly observance and celebration of what Jesus did. We have already taken part in it today. Plus, we don't even know when Jesus' birthday was, and that's not really even the point. It's not a celebration of a birthday like anybody else's. So we don't forget what they did. No. The great thing about Christmas is that it's a celebration of the trustworthiness of God. It's not about when he came, it's about the fact that he did. That God was faithful to his promises. Hundreds of years of he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, finally culminates with, okay, he's here. God was faithful, God is trustworthy. Christmas is a celebration that God can be trusted with everything. He was so committed to following through for his people, to the promises that he made them, that he came in person to keep his promises. That his will would be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. That's how trustworthy he is. That he would come in the flesh, that he would descend into our brokenness, into, compared to his holiness, into the filth of our existence. It's no accident that he was born in a stable, not in a clean place, but among the animals. I can't think, unfortunately, I can't think of a better metaphor from what God, for what God did when he came to be with us. That's how trustworthy he is. And not only would he come that way, but he would live a life that was so unusual. Giving up so much of the glory that was really due him. So that he could not be served, but to serve. Not so that he could spend his time with the elites, with the powerful, but so that he could spend his time with the broken, the sinful, the sick. So over the course of his life, over that time as it played out, he could show us over and over and over again, this is how much I love you. This is how much I can be trusted. This is the length that I will go to for you. So as you consider the story of Jesus' arrival in this world, when you consider all the waiting that Israel did for him to arrive as he promised that he would, when you consider how faithful he has been in his coming and in his life and his ministry and ultimately his death, I hope that in that story, you see not only could Israel trust their God, but you can trust him too. Because all that he did, he didn't just do for them, he did it for you. God has said to you over and over and over again, not just in words, but in his actions, I can be trusted. Come try me out. Come and see. If you haven't given God a chance yet, if you haven't given him even the smallest things to let him prove himself trustworthy to you, I'd encourage you to give it a shot because I know, and most of the time we don't even see it while we're living it, but when I look back on my life, I can see that he's been faithful in times that I had no idea what he was doing. (laughs) But in those times when I didn't understand what his purpose was, when I didn't understand what he was doing in my life, I knew him enough to know that he was trustworthy and just to hang on to his unfailing love and to put my trust there. And then when I look back, I see that my trust was not misplaced. That my trust, that he is worthy of my trust. And there's probably nothing that I can say to convince you of his trustworthiness more than to remind you of what he's already done for you. So if you want to give your life to him this morning, if you've come to a point where you realize you can trust him with your everything and you want to begin the walk of a disciple, a member of the kingdom of God, a child of his, we'd love to help you do that today. If you need to know more about this Jesus and how you can walk with him, we'd love to talk with you about that as well. If there's anything that we can do as a family to show you more of the God that we trust and why we put our trust in him, please come and let us know while we stand, while we sing.